Welcome to the Human Reboot with me, Emma Last. We have uplifting, inspiring and diverse reboot stories from people sharing the courageous, honest, authentic and sometimes difficult life lessons. The Human Reboot will provide proven mentally flourishing formulas and practical tips to help you to live life to the full, giving you direction and hope. Make your mental fitness and well-being a daily priority. Learn to pause so that you can get clear and perform at your best. Switch off to switch on. It's time for your human reboot. Today on the Human Reboot podcast is the wonderful Karen Ratcliffe. And Karen helps people to move from unhealthy to healthy relationships. Historically, she's worked in the criminal justice system and with charities in relation to domestic abuse. She's a survivor of toxic abuse herself, first as a child and then as a young adult. And at 17, she was sent out into the world naive and afraid. And now she looks back and knows that her purpose was to help women to move from unhealthy to healthy in their relationships, in their body, mind and communication. So welcome today, Karen. It's lovely to have you here. Please, would you tell us a little bit more about your mission? Um, Yes, and it's great to be here, Emma. And my mission, basically, because I have lived domestic abuse, I didn't get to university till I was older. And the subjects that I chose at university, I think, I don't think I was totally aware of it, but they were subjects that led me to my future career. I learned about toxic abuse. I learned about the brain. I learned about how we are affected by abuse as individuals. And it led me to do a dissertation on relationships and relationship breakdown. And all of this fed into my mission. And my mission is to prevent abusive relationships. I want to work actively to raise awareness because it remains hidden. We have lots of laws coming in, bills that are being passed, and still we have this problem. Charities do their best, but they can only work with people who come forward. They can only work with people who've been directed to them. And even then, lots of people will not take that next step. They will move back to where they came from and remain hidden. I want to try and encourage everybody in society to become more aware of abusive relationships, to try to understand what to do, who to contact, and how to approach somebody. And also I want people to come to me and work with me to get clear about whether they are in an unhealthy relationship because it is very complex and it can be later in the relationship at a point where you start to lose yourself that you begin to realize that this is an abusive relationship. So I wanna get in there at the beginning. Oh, thank you, Karen. So, Karen, please would you tell us the reboot story that you would like to share with us today? Okay. Well, I wouldn't be where I am today doing what I am doing today 
without what had happened to me as a young person. We hear so many stories of, you know, domestic abuse um, between adults and, um, you know, their journey. And it's very rare, I feel, that we ever hear the story of those who, as children, lived in a toxic abuse family. One of the things that I would say is, as a child, I didn't see it in the beginning as abuse. I thought it was normal. And I thought all my friends had the same kind of thing going on in their home. And when I used to visit my friends' houses and I didn't see this happening, I used to think there was some problem, something wrong. And as children do, when the arguments and the violence happen and you feel frightened, you put yourself in a situation that you feel you have a responsibility to do something about it. So you make it a tiny mission in your child life to try and help your parents, help your siblings, and try to make a better life for everybody. And so for me, I went to some dark places as um, an 11-year-old girl. You know, I was basically looking after my siblings, looking after the home. Mum had withdrawn. Um, Awful things had happened. Um, And dad was never around. And when he was around, well, um, let's just say you've heard the saying master of their castle. Definitely. And so you began to align yourself with your mum to try and make her life better. And one of the things I learned was you can't change anybody, no matter what you do, you cannot help somebody to change their life until they recognize that they need to change their life. So my reboot happened, I think, at the time when I was asked to leave the home. My mum had been drinking, it had been a bit of a bad day, and I snapped. And I'd already become a bit of a problem child because I'd learned that the secrets in our home were best kept as secrets. Nobody seemed to understand. So I was a problem child in that I pushed people away. So in a way, I thought I was protecting my family, but I wasn't protecting my family. I was helping the secrets to stay where they were. And on this day, I had snapped and I had found all the alcohol that had been hidden in various places and I poured it down the sink. And on that occasion, of course, there was anger. And I basically said some of the things that were on my mind and was asked to leave in the politest or, or, well. So my clothes were in a plastic bag and I was ejected from the home. I had no idea where I was going. I had no idea what I was going to do. I felt totally bereft. But what I did know was I had got strong. I'd got strength in me. I'd got something in me that was going to make me survive. And I was not to doubt myself and that I had to go forward and make a life. And luckily, someone who I knew knew somebody else who was willing to put me up on their sofa. So I suppose I was one of the first sofa surfers. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So... I ended up at what was the, called the Department of Health and Social Security at the time. And I had to basically report that I was estranged from my parents. And I was very frightened. I didn't know what to do, but I, 
I ended up in a one bedroom, uh, in a bedroom um, in a shared house. And that's a whole other story. But what I learned from that point was that just as I was learning, I couldn't change other people. I was the only person who could help me. And that was a rocky journey. And it was not easy. We as humans have this wonderful thing called denial. <laughs> and what we do is we tell ourselves stories and we take a lot of blame. And so we tell ourselves that this whole thing was our fault. And then you have another conversation with yourself and you tell yourself, well, stop wallowing in it and do something about it. So that period of my life was where I learned to understand myself. I got myself some help. I went to see a counsellor. We chatted about a few things. And I began to learn that I loved the, well, I loved the countryside. I loved walking. So where I was, if you walked half a mile, you got to be around some fields. And so what I found was on my bad days, the best thing for me to do was just to walk and walk it off. And then when I came back, I could breathe easier. I felt less tension and I could begin to plan my life. So I suppose that was the start of my reboot. And how old were you then, Karen? 17. So that's just such a young age to, you know, be having to deal with total independence, really. I had nobody in the world. I'd had boyfriends, but again, this was not what you would call a strong relationship or a caring relationship. There was an element of control there, only I wasn't aware of it at the time. But we didn't um, go out and have fun. There was a lot of just staying in. And when you're alone, you want somebody to care about you. And again, I suppose what I could say is there's a whole other story there. Yeah. Um, so yes, when you are totally alone and you've only yourself to rely on, you do do some inner depth work. And I learned to connect with my inner child. My counselor had introduced me to me and I began to realize that there were different parts of me and that I was complicated and there was different needs in me, but I didn't understand how I was going to meet all of those needs or how I was going to help myself. And I think that was a life journey, to be honest. So with those needs that you were talking about, were there any sort of clear ones that you identified at that point? Yeah, I had to stop hurting myself. Um, if I'm truthful, there was a bit of like self-harm going on. There was um, desperation at times. You have good days, you have bad days. Um, you aren't able to trust people, you see. That's the biggest thing. Because when you've kept secrets and you've pushed people away and um, you don't really have anyone to rely on, you can't really open up to people. I mean, I found it hard yeah. going for counselling. It took what it took ages. And in those days, you got a bit more counselling than I think you do today for free with services. But what I did learn was I was okay. I just had to be more okay. And it was about how did I do that? 
And learning to trust people, I think, was the biggest thing because we need to connect. As human beings, we need to connect. We connect with ourselves in our mind and body. We can probably do that with some help. But connecting with other people is the hard bit. And so for me, finding a genuine person to trust was a long journey. And I did find that person and I'm married to him. And I am so grateful for his trust and understanding. But I I didn't just rush into a relationship. We became friends first. I was so frightened of experiencing more of those kind of relationships that led me to feel like I was hurting, I was to blame. And sadly, it also led to shame. I felt ashamed of myself at times. And so, you know, building a genuine trusting relationship is possible. And that's what I want to take into the world in my mission. Oh, tell me a bit more about this um, this friendship that blossomed into this wonderful relationship. Because I know you've been with your husband for a long time now, haven't you? Yes. And one of the things we promised ourselves very early on when we built that trust was honesty. And so bad days, we talk about it. If we're not happy with each other because somebody's taken an action or done something, we talk about it. And um, we also know that we have to have our own individual bits of lives. You can't be together all of the time. We learnt to connect in the deepest sense, I think. You know, it's so funny. He goes to say something and I've just said it. And then he'll go, I was just going to say that. Or he'll be thinking about something and then I'll go, you know, I'm thinking. And he'll go, that's what I was thinking. And the same for me. He says something and I say the same. And it really is a deep connection. I think we know that we're unhappy about something or the other person's unhappy before they have to say a word. We read body language fantastically. And I think all the skills that I've taken on my journey um, to develop myself and learn to deal with my past and to help other people has also meant that he's come on that journey with me. So he's picked up some of the skills too. I've often said, you know, when I'm out there making a real difference to the world, you're going to have to come along and join in because, you know, I think he'd be so good at it. He, he's an open, trusting individual. Oh, he sounds wonderful. I'd like to meet him one day, Karen. You might get yeah, to We're not too far away from each other geographically, so that might just happen. So tell us a bit more about how you moved into the field of work that you did originally. So a bit more about kind of how you went from university and then moved on into the field of work and the kind of types of people that you've helped over the years. Okay. Well, I mean... Terry supported me through university. He was the one who pushed me forward and said, go for it, girl. Um, I had had no education. I got to grammar school as a youngster, but because of what our home life, I missed a lot of school, which meant then that I didn't come out with very good grades. I was what you would call an absolute failure from a grammar school. So I went to do an access course and an A-level in sociology because I was so interested in the organisation of society and the domestic realm. So I came out with my degree and I got involved in campaigning locally. So there were some things going on around shutting down schools. I got very involved, started to lead people forward. And 
found myself as a community development worker working in our local community. And I had a contract for a year to try and enhance the community to get people to come together and communicate better. It was a community that was quite fragmented. And so what we did was I worked with some of the youth workers in the area. We put together a panel and local people joined the panel and we built something that was going to end in a carnival. So, um, and it was a carnival. We walked the streets. I got invited into the mayor's car. It was lovely. Um, It all culminated in a local youth centre. We got local schools involved, local people involved. We had, oh, we got a drama group together, young people who had been experiencing the criminal justice system. We got them to work with a local drama group to start to express themselves about why they had got into offending. So, you know, they were really into it. They, they designed their pretend card. It was, it was all pretend, everything around it. So they would open the car doors, they would sit in them, they would talk, they had their conversations, and it was all done without lines. It came from them. And it was the most wonderful thing to see these children expressing how they saw the world where they felt that they fitted in it through drama. It was an affair. It was called the West End Festival. They converted it into the Transport Festival because it was the year to celebrate transport in the area of Crewe. And I feel it was absolutely amazing. And everybody enjoyed it. And it was a really good end to the year of my contract. So from there, because I'd worked in the community and had worked on this project, I found myself in the probation service. So I worked as a group tutor. So I was, I learned skills of CBT. We did treatment programs. I worked with people who had committed various crimes. And with some it worked, obviously, with some it didn't. And I I felt that the youngsters, the younger people that came on our groups were the people that learned the most. And I think this is when I started to lean towards prevention. I could see that we could reach the younger ones to help them to see that the world that they lived in, their view of the world didn't have to be that view. And so by using CBT and looking at how they their thinking, their fixed thoughts, their fixed thinking, looking at the fortune telling, you know, the peers and the pressure and managing emotions. And when you are in that situation where you're thinking and then you're feeling, what you're doing is you are then creating meanings. So when you give meanings to the world, it becomes fixed and that's how you get your beliefs. And so their belief system was based on something that was fragmented and was not working for them and helping them to change that belief system into something that was about visions of where they wanted to be, positive futures, you know. It was amazing to work on. And I felt so brilliant, you know, especially when we had someone who finished and they'd come to you and they go, thank you so much. We were like, what are you thanking me for? You've done all the work. You're the amazing one. I just helped you on your way. And from there... I moved over into victim liaison 
And this is where I came into my own because of my past, because of my training, because of my dissertation on relationship breakdown. I felt this is where I'd found my calling. I worked on panels, multi-agency panels. I helped those who had been offended against. I, I feel very unsure of using the word victim. You know, it's a label and I'm very anti-label. So I would help these people to understand the sentence that the person who had offended against them had got. Um, I would help them to look at conditions that they wanted adding on to their, you know, to the license of the person coming out of prison. And for that, I had to understand their situation. So, you know, there was a lot of connection and communication and giving them that, that empathy that they really needed and learning about the case and having to work with all of my colleagues in a team because we're all in it together. And I also worked as a women's safety worker. In probation, there are offender programs around domestic abuse also. And we do something where we take do risk assessments. Um, I became where I was always doing risk assessments. And those risk assessments highlighted any ongoing abuse after you know, after the sentence, if they were still in the home with their partner, it was about safety planning. It was about keeping them safe. I love some of the stuff that's been in the new Domestic Violence Act that's just come out. I think it could have gone further. But until those people come out and stop being hidden, okay, none of that is going to matter or work. And I think that society is afraid of domestic abuse. I think we're afraid because... There's two things, I think. I think um, there is a fear because any abusive behaviour could also be directed towards you if you try to help somebody. And I think, number two, we're afraid because then we may have to be introspective into our own lives and look at our own relationships. And the one thing I've learned on my journey is that that connection, that honesty, that trust is something that it requires such hard work thank you so much for sharing your story and also for really kind of sharing more around your mission and you know what you want to change and how you want to help because I know that I had a a recent interview she was actually with one of my friends we went to secondary school together and actually she experienced domestic abuse and she didn't know what help was out there. And I think, you know, if perhaps there wasn't as much stigma around it and there were more conversations around like the prevention of then, you know, in terms of what you're talking about, then maybe we might prevent some of these situations getting to the dangerous states that sometimes they do get to. So let's find out a little bit about you. So you said earlier on that you, you know, you learn kind of at an early age to kind of bring yourself back to you. You used to, you know, you would walk and get some, you know, the countryside and take some fresh air in and, you know, and that helps you to kind of breathe again. So talk to me about how you switch off to switch on you know now uh, because obviously that's quite a a number of years ago isn't it and you know it it just how do you pause so that you can perform at your best in your work 
and your home life? Well, I'll be honest with you. Um, Every morning when I wake up, I take a drink of water and I sit and I ask myself, what is today going to be like today? I set an intention of what it is I'm going to achieve today. And what I do is I do often, I don't do this every day and it's naughty of me because I should. Okay. I have um, a nice little purple meditation cushion. You can get them off Amazon and it's a little round cushion and it just helps me to sit on the floor and to get in a position where I feel able just to shut my mind down. And one of the things I was taught when I was younger, I I came across somebody who taught me how to breathe properly. And she taught me the four, four, four. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's it's known as square breathing. Right. I just call it four by four breathing, but yeah, it's the same thing. Exactly the same thing, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it was, it's very important for me to be able to control my breathing. So, you know, keeping that breath for four, holding it in for four, releasing it for four, wait for four. And while I'm doing that, what I try to do is I try to clear my mind too. So for me, when I'm in a position of what you'd call, you're noticing stress levels, you're, you're noticing that tension in your body. Um, you're noticing maybe that your thoughts are a bit scrambled and you're feeling that mild panic. And I think we all do that because we try to fit so much into our lives today. I take 10 minutes out. I know those 10 minutes, if that's all I've got on a busy day, just help me. And I know I, I can imagine people getting their cushions in offices and just getting off their desks and sitting on the floor and giving themselves 10 minutes. But you know what? Why not? Again, like I said, maybe we've all got to think of a different way of living. Um, and I just shut my mind down, slow my breathing. And um, I just I just be still, be silent for 10 minutes. I feel energized after it I feel oxygenated and I can usually just return to work and feel that I'm more in control and more calm and that means I get better work done because I'm not feeling panicky if I have the time I still walk we've got some woods I go down to the woods and I walk through what I love woods I love trees I'm a tree hugger So I do do walking. I still do that, but it has to be planned. And I love a trip to the beach. I love just connecting with the waves. I'm often paddling through the waves, just listening to them. Um, Sometimes I put videos out of my time by the waves. And some of the other things that I do to reset are around laughter Um, You're going to be asking me later, I know you are, about the podcast. And I'm going to tell you later about a fantastic podcast. But I do like a little bit of laughter. I find it just releases the tension and just lets it out. So, you know, we've got Netflix on our tellies, lots of us, right? But instead of watching a movie or watching a program, find a comedian that you really like and get to know them. Because even if you're only watching part of it, just for 15, 20 minutes, and there's a chuckle there, honestly, lightens the day. So, well, that leads me on beautifully to any tips that you have in living life to the full. So your personal flourishing formula for life. So for me, my tip is 
Be honest with yourself. Love yourself. Care for yourself. When you're looking after yourself, you will find it so much easier to look after and care for other people. So honesty with yourself is my tip. Well, that is actually one of the first modules that I do in the Human Reboot Movement Programme. Right. Uh, Yeah, it's being honest with yourself, very much about, you know, about who you are, where you are now and, you know, and, and what you want, really. So and sometimes we don't always know what we want when we're in that situation, but it's about confronting the brutal facts so that you can move forward and when I say this came from a book that I read, and I can't even remember who who wrote it actually, but yeah, it was about confronting the brutal facts. But I think in that book, you know, there was parts of that book I loved and parts that I didn't. But I think it doesn't have to be brutal, if that makes sense. You just have to really be honest with yourself so that you've got that self-awareness so that you can move forward. So Moving on beautifully with that, as we're talking about books, is there anyone or anything or any podcasts or any books or anything that you feel have been a key part of your journey that you wish to share with the audience? I just want to show this book here. Okay. I've had this since 1980. <laughs> this is the Marge Piercy Woman on the Edge of Time. It was a feminist book. And actually, I covered it in my degree as well. So I went back to it. And It is a wonderful book because what it says, what the story of this woman explains how women in society, I know it was written in 1978, but I think it's relevant for today, how women in society see ourselves and how we allow other people, especially men in our life, to take control. And in this book, if you read it, it is a journey about this woman who she becomes part of an experiment. She allows the system to experiment with electrodes in her brain. And it takes her in onto the edge of time. She goes to a place where it's a utopian place where things are totally different. And it's about desperation. It's about feeling that no matter what you do, you'll never be accepted. That basically you are looked down upon and you are hidden. And for a lot of women, that story is still relevant today. And so that helped me to put some of my life into context when I read the book, because it was about saying, I can fight back. I can be more than this. And those words that had been driven into my brain, those labels Those beliefs that I had taken on, which were not my beliefs, and a lot of us are carrying beliefs that are not our own, and that's why I say about being honest with yourself. You know, we have choices. We can be whoever we want to be, but what we have to do is learn to undo a lot. And the other book that was really important to me was Jane Eyre, and we all know the story of Jane Eyre, but I remember as a child seeing Jane, you know, standing there on that stool, you know, her friend was ill. She'd taken on that, that standing on that stool. She was in a place of cruelty. She was totally isolated, totally alone, but she had her principles. And as she went through her story, her principles never changed. And, you know, she held herself together. And I was like, yes, Jane Eyre, 
I totally agree with you and get you. And as a young person, I think, for, you know, any young person, that is a book to read. And you mentioned podcasts. I just want to get on to Emma Stroud and Clowning Around. I don't know whether you've ever heard it, but honestly, I talked to you about how there has to be some laughter. Yeah. She begins, she she has um, an alter ego, Barbara, who's the clown. And so she starts off her podcasts, Clowning Around. And it lightens the tone of where she goes later with some serious stuff. And I really do enjoy it. So I do recommend it. Oh, fabulous. Well, thank you so much, Karen. And we will put those books and podcast links in the show notes as well. So I've loved having you as a guest. So thank you for being on the Human Reboot. If people want to know uh, more about what you do or want to speak to you about their relationships, how would they get in contact with you? Well, I've given you my um, social media links, but I have a website and I have an email address. Okay, so kjratcliffeconsultancy.com and you can email me at karen at kjratcliffeconsultancy.com and that's the easiest way if you want to have a chat with me, you know, we can have a chat. We can see if there's anything that I can do to help. I am looking at setting up a group, which is about taking back my power. And that's on Facebook. If you want to know more about that, please contact me. At the end of the day, together, we can change this world and we can change the attitude around domestic abuse. Politicians are starting changing things in a way but we still got so much more to do. And we, the people who live in the society with our neighbours next door, our family, our friends, we can all make a difference. And that's how I want to leave today. Thank you for listening to the Human Reboot podcast. I'm Emma Last. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star podcast review and visit thehumanrebootmovement.com where you can find downloadable free resources, sign up to my mailing list or connect with me on social. So that's thehumanrebootmovement.com. Let's switch off so we can switch on. It's time for your human reboot.